Hello friends, welcome back. Uh, we'll continue our series in Romans. Uh, we are in the second chapter, beginning in verse 12 and all the way through the end of the chapter. We're talking about how there is no partiality with God. You know, in our society, uh, these words favoritism, nepotism, cronyism, these are all terms that tend to leave a sour note in our mouths. They describe a certain unfairness in how benefits and blessings are distributed. Many can look back on a time when they felt that we maybe deserved a certain job or position that was awarded to somebody else. Uh, maybe <laughs> later you find out that the person that received the job happened to be a relative or a close acquaintance of the hiring party or there was some relationship there. Uh, it's very easy to become embittered about that. Immediately, the phrase that comes to our mind, uh, that's just not fair. You know, it, is, it isn't right. Well, understand that in the economy of God, especially when it comes to the gospel, there is no grace imparted on the basis of race, religion, heritage, ancestry, or anything of the like. In the end, it is... It is who you know. However, there's only one that you must know and be known of, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And well, that's the topic in which today's text is concerned. So I'm really tempted to go back and read uh, the entire chapter, verses one, beginning in verse one, but I'm going to fight that urge. Last, uh, the last lesson uh, we did talk about uh, verses one through 10 and covered those already. I'll probably backtrack a little bit on it, but I want to read at least the first little section here, uh, verses 11 through 16. And then as we come to the other two points in the outline, we'll, we'll read the rest of the verses uh, as they come up. Uh, first point of the outline is there's no partiality with God. That's point number one. And let's read verses 11 through 16 of Romans chapter 2. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves." who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and being themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing themselves. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Now, admittedly, when Paul starts using this, these terms within the law and outside the law in the applying of the law, if you've been a Bible student for very long at all, the, the first thing that we tend to do, I tend to do, I guess I'll lay it upon me, is I see this and it uh, can be a little bit confusing because when I read those words, the law, I'm thinking of the Levitical law, the law of God, the procedures, the sacrifices, uh, all that encompass the law. And he starts talking about those within the law, those without the law, those keeping the law to themselves, that sort of thing. 
Paul is not teaching a works salvation. Uh, he's trying to get the those in, in Rome who were of Jewish descent to understand that there is no partiality with God. That's what he begins with. Verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. If we put that in context, we back up and read the previous 10 verses, and he's speaking about those who choose to sin and unrighteousness versus those who uh, seek righteousness, those who turn to God seeking righteousness. Again, understand that this book of Romans, as many have said, is Paul's gospel. So he's building up to the gospel. We've been tracking the Romans road as we proceed through. And when we get to Romans chapter 10, there will be absolutely no question what Paul is getting to. So very again, a very be very careful always, as I remind you as a Bible student, to always, always read scripture in context. Sometimes that means you look at the entire book. Uh, you might need to go all the way to conclusions of the book before making final judgments on what a verse is saying. And here, this is what Paul is dealing with. There is no partiality with partiality with God. And he starts out back in the early part in, the, in those first, first few verses saying, you know, man is without excuse. We are good. We are, we are masters, mankind I'm talking about, men and women, women, children, at coming up with excuses for our own behavior, for our own failures. And Paul begins the chapter by declaring man is without excuse. Of course, this follows chapter one when we look, saw the, the, the decline of sin through man's rebellion, his own acceptance of things that were wicked uh, just to satisfy himself. And Paul says, you are without excuse. And uh, he goes on to say that God's judgment is true. And he doesn't just mean truth, but he means right and righteous and exact and perfect. God's judgment is on the money. I have some dear friends who, who are judges, who are elected judges, and I, I hold them in very high esteem. And I, I got to be honest, I would not have their job. I wouldn't want their job uh, to have to sit on that bench. Uh, it, seems, it seems nice, it seems exciting, but when you have to then take the law and apply it to someone and, and lower judgment, hoping and that you have read, that you have understood, that you have memorized enough and, and have a good enough grasp on the law to deal it out um, with justice and with truth. That's, that's a very weighty responsibility. And Paul here declares that God's judgment is true and he's absolutely right. So when God looks upon a person, be they a Jew or a Gentile, what have you, he is going to make a judgment and his judgment is going to be dead on, spot on, true. Then another verse that just kind of leaps off the page for me uh, is within this same section. And I will flip back to this one just, just a little bit. And I, you know, I've read this verse, but for some reason in studying and preparing for this outline, it, I don't know, the phrase just grabbed me. And it's found in chapter two, verse four. Verse four says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing? 
that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And folks, we've, we understand the goodness of God or we, we are familiar with it or we rejoice in it. But have you ever thought about that fact? His goodness is what leads you to repentance. And you look at a, a, a good and a just and a holy God. And, and for the repentant heart, that will lead one to repentance. For the rebellious heart, what's the, the reaction? It does just the opposite, doesn't it? One can rebel and run from God and say, well, he's good and he's perfect. He owes me everything. And no, friends, he owes you nothing. And yet the repentant heart looks at the goodness of God and says, what a good and just and holy God. And I'm the opposite of that. So what can I do? What recourse do I have? Repentance. The goodness of God should lead us to repentance. And then he go, Paul goes on and he kind of continues with this thought. And, and, the, and basically, if you break the verses down, the summation is this. Some will remain in rebellion. They'll see the goodness of God, and yet they will remain in their own rebellion. Why? Because it satisfies them. Or at least it makes them content within their own pride and their own sin. In the end, they won't be satisfied. It leads to destruction. But yet some will remain in rebellion while others do what? They will repent. The goodness of God leads them to that repentance. And then Paul lets us know, uh, especially in verse 16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. See, it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul lets us know, for God's grace is rewarded based on this single issue. His grace is rewarded based upon repentance, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let's consider point number two of the outline. The Jews are as guilty as the Gentiles. The Jews are as guilty as the Gentiles. Well, you say, well, big deal. I knew that. Well, I, I would not blame you for having that initial thought. But understand, friend, that in Paul's day, this was a huge issue. In fact, uh, from, the, from the beginning of the gospel, this was a huge issue. The disciples, the apostles went back and forth over this issue uh, quite a bit. Uh, so let's take a quick look. We'll read verses 17 through 24 and then make our comments here. Verse 17, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? For the, main, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So Paul's, he's really stepping on some toes here. 
And, and understand here, again, he's reaching out to these in Rome who were, uh, he's warning the descendants of Abraham that were in Rome, the Jews. And it puts me in mind of John the Baptist in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, uh, when he's baptizing and the Pharisees and the Sadducees come, come out. And, and interesting, folks, the context there is in the preceding verses, it's talking about John the Baptist, who he was, his appearance, his, his what we would call a lowly estate. He lived out in the wilderness and ate locust and honey, a, a, a very rough looking guy. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees come out to see what all the fuss is. And, and I got to believe they're coming to destroy. And John the Baptist sees them coming. He looks up and he warns the Pharisees and the Sadducees that, you know, God could raise up children of Abraham out of these stones if he wanted to. In other words, he's warning, don't make your boast in, in being descendants of Abraham. That doesn't buy you one ounce of real estate in heaven. He is, his message was repent the same as Paul's is, the same as ours is. Now, the Jews did have the benefit of receiving the law. Make no mistake about it. The Jews, Israel, God's chosen nation. And we should, as believers, as Christians, we should respect that. We should never overlook that. We should pray for Israel. We should witness to our Jewish friends. Uh, but And they had the benefit of receiving the law they received it through Moses. God gives the law to Moses. He hands down to the children of Israel and it's passed down through the ages. And with that, responsibility came. The Jews had the responsibility of teaching the law of God. They did this by two primary ways. First, by example. They should have, the Jews should have, and many did, but most did not, live the law of God in such a way that made others want to be a part of it. And there was a way and there was a path for, for even Gentiles to do that. But they should have been the light to the world. And then also, secondly, they should have done the same by instruction, teaching others about the law. Of course, yes, most would reject. But they had the responsibility that came along with the privilege. Sadly, as a nation, they failed at that. And... Paul says they're, they're, that they did, it's as if he's saying, you don't even realize you failed at this. And because of your boasting in the law, boasting to the Gentiles, uh, other nations that you are God's chosen people, uh, and then not living as God's chosen people, he said, you cause them to blaspheme his name. Think about that, folks, what a penalty that must bring. You live in such a way that brings blasphemy to the very name of God, and Paul warns them. Well, finally, point number three, he goes on and with this, this same thought line, and he tells them that their circumcision is to no avail. Let's read verses 25 through 29. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you 
who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Paul's simply saying this, circumcision was not, it, it was a mark of the Jew. It was given in the Old Testament to distinguish the Jewish male. Uh, it, was, it was performed on every Jewish male on the eighth day of his life. And Paul says that circumcision of one's heart is what really mattered. See, you can have the circumcision, you can have the physical mark, but if you're not going to live for Christ, if you're not going to live by the law with the heart for God, then what benefit is it? He says none. And again, folks, he's not preaching a work salvation. Even within the law, even within circumcision and keeping the law, they had sacrifices for what? Repentance. Because they knew no one's going to keep the law. It's not going to be perfect. And so these, 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 these burnt offerings, these sin offerings, these sacrifices for repentance were put in place. And the same is true here. Paul is saying don't depend on the fact that you're Jewish, that you have ancestry that dates back. I don't care if you can track it all the way to Abraham. And most could not because of the dispersions and the captivities. Yet many believe that they were uh, seeds of Abraham and they followed the, the, the Levitical law, at least in their mind. They thought they kept the written code. And yet their hearts were far from God. And Paul says that circumcision of one's heart is what mattered. Again, boasting about and relying upon one's ancestor gains nothing in God's eyes, Paul argues. He says that what good is that? None. And, and this, is, this is just as true in 2023 as it was in Paul's day. You say, well, Brother Chris, I, we're not Jewish and we don't live by the Levitical law. And I would agree with you, that's very true. But we are, we are able to fall into the same trap. My grandfather on my mother's side, we called him Paul Paul. He's a wonderful man, a great man. Taught me to fish. I'd go spend the summer with him, uh, a week in the summer of, uh, of every summer with him, and we would go out and uh, we would fish. Uh, in the winters, we would all go hunting. He kept bird dogs, and uh, man, we were just blessed. We had it so good. As long as I knew Paul Paul from a age of a small boy when I was with him or when our family visited, we went to church with him. They attended a Baptist church uh, on a very regular basis. They, it was not uncommon for them to have the preacher or his, and his wife over for a meal and fellowship uh, or some deacons, uh, church family. It was part of their life. And Paul Paul was a good, good man. He was a farmer by trade and he ran the farmer's co-op and he he, he knew the farmers and he loved the land. He loved to till the ground and watch uh, things grow. And he gave God credit for that and the blessing. But I want you to know something. My good, loving Paul almost went to hell. He was in church all his life. 
He sat on a pew. He gave money. He tithed. And yet, it wasn't until he was a very, very old man, uh, just maybe a, a year or two from his death, he was in church. My father was preaching. I wasn't there. They, I was told about this later. He finally saw that he needed to repent. He had never done that. He had gone to church. He had tithed. He had done good things. He had been a blessing to others. He had been a good neighbor. Uh, all these things that we think of. He's an American man. You know, he used to pride on himself on the fact that he, he farmed through the Depression. He farmed uh, through the World War II. He, man, he, he said, I, I helped feed uh, those uh, in my state, in my nation. And he took, he took great pride in that, and, and he should have. He was a hardworking man. But yet, no one is without excuse. And he finally, by the grace of God, realized. And think how hard this must have been. My dad was the one preaching. That's his son-in-law. He had to go and confess. He didn't have to confess to my, my dad, but I mean, my dad was the one preaching. In that church, he had to go forward and he confessed his sin, praise Jesus, on that day, uh, admitting that he was a sinner without hope and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior. But folks, he saw how many have not done that? How many because of pride, because of status, because of where they grew up, somehow think that they're okay? You know, Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. John 8, 44 teaches us that. And two of his chief tools are pride and distraction. And how many people have been deceived into believing that because of some special status with God that they, they think they have, they must be okay in God's eyes. Dear friend, please read the Bible and take God at his word. You must be born again. Jesus spoke these words to Nicodemus, who was a master of Israel. And certainly, we need to know and to proclaim that one must be born again, simply believing that you are a sinner and that you have violated God's law and punishment is due. Just take hold of that. Believe it. You know that you've sinned. You know that you're not perfect. Then believe that Jesus died on the cross to save you from that punishment. Cry out to him and him alone. Accept his death, burial, and resurrection as fact. Trust him. Ask for forgiveness, and God says that you will be saved. Please don't wait. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you're not certain, please do that today. I don't care if you're with somebody. If you're alone, stop right where you are and cry out to Jesus and ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. And folks, then tell somebody about what you've done. Find a Bible-believing Christian and tell them what you've done. That's my prayer for you today. Don't trust in the fact that you're American, that you're Jewish, that you're Southern, Northern, where, I don't care where you're from. 
that you're that you're poor, that you're rich, does not matter. God is not a respecter of persons, but he has grace for you. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the Bible. Friend, will you do that today? It's my prayer that you will. Well, thank you for joining me again. Come back next time and we'll do lesson number five and we'll begin in Romans chapter three.